You can have a seat. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord, we come to you today, Lord, just in awe of you, in awe of uh, this day that you have created, God. And Lord, we, we just thank you. Thank you for the creation. Thank you just for the gift that it is that we get to gather, Lord. Uh, Father, we come to you today and, and we just uh, thank you for this church family. Thank you for those individuals here, for those up at Camp Hermatton, for those uh, traveling or uh, at home right now, Father. Uh, Lord, we know that you are big and you are mighty and you are powerful, God. You are uh, with each and every one of us today, Father. Lord, we want to bring forward to you today, Father, a couple families. Lord, for uh, the Hicks family, for the Thorson family, and for the De Bruins, Lord, as they are walking through a a season of grief, season of loss, Lord, uh, as family members have, have passed on. Father, be with these families as they go through this season. May you comfort them. May you walk alongside them. May you put your hand upon their shoulders and just love them, Father. Lord, be with us here as we go through transition and changes. And uh, Father, as we look forward to the fall, we are excited for all that you have planned for us, Lord. Uh, And we are uh, anticipating the work that you are going to do here at first. Lord, be loud, be vocal, be clear to us as a church of where we need to go and where you uh, are preparing for us. May we be a church who is hospitable, a church who is loving and kind uh, and open, Father. Uh, May we be receptive today uh, and become the people that you have in mind for us. Father, uh, for the offering, thank you, Lord, for all the generosity uh, of, uh, of our church, Father. Thank you for uh, the gifts that uh, are given, Lord, and just the way that you are able to uh, take a small portion and uh, just multiply it. And Lord, today as, uh, as Pastor Trent brings the word, Father, I just pray that you would just uh, put your hand upon his shoulder, Lord, that you would speak through him and that uh, your voice would be loud and clear, uh, Father, as, as Trent brings the word today. Father, uh, for this and so much more, uh, we know that uh, you have been with us this week, whether it has been a week of joy, a week of sorrow, or somewhere in between, Father. And so, Lord, uh, we give this day to you, and we ask that you would just uh, be with us today. I ask this in your name. Amen. Good morning. So, years ago, I watched a movie that really messed with how I thought about things. Um, it was a, an independent film. It was a documentary by the name Super Size Me. I don't know if any of you have seen this, but um, this guy named Morgan, he goes on a 30-day period where from February 1st to March 2nd in 2003, he only ate McDonald's food. 
The film documents the drastic effects that this had on his physical and psychological health and well-being. Um, now, to be fair, he made a particular rule. He said that he, if they asked him to upsize it, if, he, if they wanted a bigger size, that he would always have to say yes. So he ate the largest possible portions every single time. Let's, we can take that picture down. I'm, I'm having a hard time looking at that. <laughs> Um, and also, he made a promise that during this time, he also would not exercise. So, but with that in mind, this 32-year-old gained 24 and a half pounds in one month, 13% body mass increase, his cholesterol skyrocketed, he experienced mood swings, and he was a mess. Um, one of the scenes stood out to me where he was sitting in the car and he's like, I'm thinking about getting food and my hands are shaking and there's this like adrenaline in me and he's like, as I'm eating these fries, I feel this like wave of like relief. I'm like, this guy is getting like chemically messed up by eating fast food day in and day out. And in just these 30 days of this horrid rhythm, it took him 14 months to fully recover after that event. 14 months. Um, it's, it's frustrating how easy it is for us to accumulate unhealthy practices and rhythms. Our, our lives, the human condition, we are like moths to a flame. And once we have formed a rhythm or a practice in our lives, they begin, those practices and rhythms begin to shape us. Um, the spaces we occupy, the actions we practice, the conversations we maintain, these things direct our hearts. They steer our passions and our energy. That's how we're created. Now, if it only took 30 days for this guy to end up in the state that he did, what is it like for us to spend 30 months constantly consuming the media that we have been experiencing these past 30 months. The divisiveness, the conflict, the frustrations, being locked into our phones and being led down a path. What effect has that had on our lives? Or the past 30 years, living in this culture, day in, day out, accepting without really reflecting the practices that have, considered, that have continued to affect us. This is a thing, and I'm not saying that everything we do is wrong in our culture, but if we don't recognize that the things that we love, that we care about, that we think about, and that we consume, they begin to shape our identity. They form our habits, and these practices, and all of it comes together, and in many ways, they direct our lives more than our beliefs. And that's just something I want us to be able to consider today. Now imagine living 300 years in a culture where in that culture, generation upon generation after generation is being told the same thing over and over and over again. I can't imagine the influencing power that that would have and the challenge that it would take to unlearn and rebuild yourselves after living so many years in that kind of situation. Just hold that for a second. How many of you are heavy coffee drinkers? Don't worry, this connects. 
Um, yeah, I saw a hand back there. Yep, a couple of hands, two hands, two shaking hands. Yep, there's a hand with the coffee mug right now. Um, um, if you've ever tried to get off of coffee, it is hard. I, I hear a laugh. It's like, I've never tried. I could if I wanted to, but I never want to, so I'm not addicted. I'm fine. Um, but that's what we do. It is hard to get off of things like coffee, to get off of things like sugar. My sister and I, one time years ago, we decided we wanted to have a sugar cleanse, like get it all out of our system. So we cut out all of the sugars. We cut out of like the quick carbs. We cut out even a couple of sweet fruits and vegetables vegetables even, just to have a real major cleanse. Along with that, I also cut out coffee at the same time. Well, let me tell you, there were headaches. There were headaches for like three weeks. And then one day, eventually, all of a sudden, the cloud lifted. And like the, all of a sudden, I was like, I can see clearly now. The rain is gone. Um, and it was one of these really interesting moments. And you might be thinking to yourself, Trent, did you like stay off the sugar or have you taken that back on? Well, don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> but what I did learn, what I did learn is the power of a detox is unbelievable for who we are and in our like system. I highly recommend it one day. I know you'd be like, there's no way I am not going to do that. But consider it sometime. Maybe, you know, a bit of a, a refresh. No. All right. <laughs> You know, we all have, we all, <laughs> okay, I'm not going to interact with that one. That was really funny. Um, so I don't know where you're at in life. Um, I don't know what the past 30 days have been like. I don't know what the past 30 months have been like or the past 30 years. But like me, I am sure that there is a need for a detox. And I'm not talking physical detox, so that's valuable. Spiritual detox a unlearning and a relearning of the habits that God has and an unlearning of habits that just slowly we acquired in our lives. The world we've been living in, it affects us deeply, but God has a plan for our lives. He has a detox plan to give us hope, joy, spiritual strength. Now, I had the privilege of traveling to Egypt several years ago, and I loved it. It was a fantastic experience to go and see all of these ancient things. Um, one of, there, there I am, doing a leap, trying to, uh, just doing that. <laughs> it was like the signature move at every, in front of everything, I'll like, I'll jump. Um, and you might be asking yourself, Trent, do you still do that? The answer is no, maybe. No, I won't do that. <laughs> um, so I was in Egypt, and it was a ton of fun. And when you get up to those pyramids, it is unreal to just imagine, like, how did these things get built? And they were massive and overwhelming. Egypt was the land that the people of Israel existed in for hundreds of years. Generation upon generation was steeped in tra the traditions of the Egyptian community. Their food, their culture, the marvels of Egypt were all they knew for centuries. And so along with the marvels came the rhythms, came the habits, came the instincts of an oppressed people. They didn't need to plan or think about their lives. They didn't have permission to. 
They were a people who simultaneously cried out for deliverance and rescue, while at the same time, they knew, knew, no, they knew no other way of being. They didn't know how else to do life except as the life of someone in slavery. In slavery. But God had a plan, and he has a plan for us too. I'm just going to pray quickly, and then we're going to open up our Bibles to Exodus chapter 14. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is a tool, a gift, a story. It is something that we enter into, and it shapes and transforms our lives. I ask that as we read your Exodus story, or parts of it, that you would reveal truth to us today, both as a community and as individuals. Thank you for being our guide. Thank you for leading us. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus 14. So let's dive into this story for a little bit and see what God does with the people of Israel that we can learn from. So God delivered the Israelites from Egypt through mighty signs and wonders. It's a classic story. Many of us know this. Whether we've been in church for a long time or not, we've at some point heard about God delivering his people and conquering the Egyptian gods and Pharaoh. God has freed the people and then they set out. And I'm going to read to you starting at uh, verse 29 in chapter 14 here. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground. With a wall of water on their right and on their left, that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians laying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant." It almost sounds like a happily ever after. And if you didn't know the story, you might assume the next chapter goes something like this. And then the people of God celebrated. They worshiped God. They marched into the promised land that had long been promised for them. A land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, And it was only a few months' journey away, and it didn't take them long to get there. They faced obstacles with unwavering faith in the God who freed them and parted the waters. They entered into a rhythm of life with God at the center, and they all lived happily ever after. The end. And that is not even close to their story. The journey for Israel was not even close to a fairy tale. So what happened? In, in chapter 14, they're delivered. And then in chapter 15, they have this beautiful song of, of, song of Moses and Miriam where they praise God for all of his works and his wonders and then they contemplate that and then they go on a walk. A three-day journey, a three-day journey where they come across bitter water, and then this is what they say. They grumbled against the Lord. Let me read this for us. Um, They go on a three-day journey. So the people of God grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? So then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. So he threw uh, the piece of wood into the water, and the water became fit to drink. So that's the story one. And then a short time later, in verse 27, they get to a limb. 
where there's these 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camp there near the water. Yay, and they're like relaxing, and it's great. But then, in the next chapter, right away, the whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which was between Elim and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, basically saying, not a long time after they've come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community, what, thanks Moses? No. They grumbled again against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There they sat around, then they say, there we sat around pots of meat and we ate all the food we wanted. Really? All the food you wanted? You brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Israel, seriously? Like, what is happening here? God is clearly and has clearly been taking care of you. He has been walking with you. He's been demonstrating such provision. And then this is what you do. Like, hindsight, really? You were in Egypt as slaves, crying out for deliverance, and now you're thinking, oh man, we had a lot of meat. We had a lot of food between beatings, whippings, and brick building and laying and no rest. But you know, it was, it was okay, right? It was an okay life, I think. Better than this, maybe. There's, we have a tendency to live our lives maybe in a similar fashion. Has God ever answered prayers for you only for you to start looking back at your past and thinking, oh, maybe it wasn't that bad. At least, at least I had that kind of security. At least I, I knew what I was doing. At least I knew what tomorrow brought. I knew what the next day would be. I didn't like it, but there was no faith. I could just know that it was going to happen. Well, two years go by. And this pattern for the Israelites, as many of you know, grumble, provision, worship, disobedience, grumble, provision, worship, and they repeat. And it just, the cycle continues on, but then the big day arrives, right? It took two years instead of two months, but God brings them to the edge of the promised land, right? Moses sends scouts out, and the scouts return from the promised land with these words. This is found in Numbers 13. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. Now, they reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. Um, This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you had set us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. There is is the kind of fruit it produces, but the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live there in the Negev, and the Hittites and Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea along and along the Jordan Valley. 
But then Caleb tried to silence the group, right? He tried to quiet them down. He's like, shh. And he stood before Moses and he says, let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can surely conquer it. But then the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people uh, we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Enoch. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. So, they may have left Egypt, but Egypt had not left them. They were free, but they did not know how to live free. They had a new life in front of them, but they couldn't picture how God would make it happen. And as God faithfully offered them a home of abundance and life, they didn't want it. Well, I think they wanted it. They just couldn't believe it was possible. And that was a serious problem. God offers life, but they don't want it. Except for Caleb and Joshua, the whole community responded to the giants and to their fears. They looked at those giants and not with eyes of a free nation by, with the power of God, but still the eyes of slaves. And my question to all of us is what challenge are you facing as God leads you forward? And what rhythms, practices, media have shaped the way you think about your life and shaped how large it, the giants seem to be. There are things that we need to get out of our system. Things for us to enjoy that God has promised us as individuals and as a community. He has a great promise for all of us, but it requires new thinking, new faith, new purpose, and this means that there are certain things that we have to leave behind. There are things God is calling us to leave behind. They needed an Egyptian cleanse. They needed to detox their life and rhythm thinking like Egypt, and we need to do the same. So God, he faithfully continues forward. And let's take a look. What are some of the things that God does for the Israelite people as he begins to transform them into a people who can enter into this new life, giving them new habits? The first thing that we see throughout the entire story of Exodus is that he guides them. He specifically guides them, not just in an abstract way, but he's constantly asking the people of God to trust him daily. They had given up the narrative of trust, and God was asking them and teaching them, trust me daily. We read that passage earlier where it says that the Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided uh, light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night, and the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. He consistently led and guided them. But this was not a roadmap. 
This wasn't them knowing the destination and then all they have to do is check off the list and follow it along. God was saying, come right here. Then the pillar would lift and move. They would follow it along and they would follow day by day. And every time they were tempted to grumble, God would respond. He would interact with them and he'd say, keep having faith. Keep walking with me one step at a time. I know you want to know the end result, but that's not how my faith works. This is not how it works. Second, he provided for them, right? We see that through manna, through quail, through water being purified. There are stories after stories throughout the entire Exodus journey of God physically providing for them. And in that, he is reminding them time and time again that God, that he, their Lord, is going to take care of them. The main purpose of sending manna and quail is certainly not just to test the Israelites or to simply fill their stomachs. It is rather to teach them something about God. And as uh, verse 6 puts it, that so the Israelites will know that it was the Lord who brought them out of Egypt. So he guides them, right? Day by frustrating day from the perspective of the Israelite. He provides for them. And similarly, day by day, the rhythm of each and every day. And then he instructs them. He provides the law and he provides a way of worship. They knew how to worship. They had been watching Egypt worship for over 500 years. They knew what worship was. By instinct, we as humans, we all know how to worship. The question is, is where do we direct our worship? And God, through the Torah, through the, through the, uh, the teachings of Moses, provides them a way of worship that is slowly forming the way they think to become the people of God with abundant faith and a willingness to be there for the orphans, to think new thoughts about strangers, to walk in new ways, to be set apart so that the whole world would know the holiness and goodness of God. He instructed them on how to stay clean, really practical things. They, 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 the concern for their own physical well-being was never something the Egyptians cared much for. But God was instructing them on how to stay clean, how to stay healthy, how to live and eat well. He was giving them governance and a way to judge complicated situations because before, in Egypt, it was something bad happened. Well, we either got like punished for it or we didn't. There was, there was no conversation about how to live as a nation. And then God was instructing them on how to interact with one another. God's Torah revealed a different kind of God to the world. So for centuries, the Israelites were instructed by the rhythms of slavery. It was stuck in their being, in their DNA. It was so hard for them to unlearn this. But God, day after day after day, was slowly teaching them slowly helping them and preparing them for living in the promised land. But, and here's the thing, and we already know this, despite two years of training, what ended up happening? They get to the edge of the promised land and then they see this new threat 
They see this, these giants, they see these new people, and they cower in fear. They can't see what, the, what they're supposed to do, and they run from it. This is the tragedy of the story. This is humbling if we apply this and think about our own lives. And this is, and this is what I mean. When we think about our own lives of faith, we know that God has provided. We've seen him provide in our past. We've seen him guide us. We've read his word. We've been instructed by him. And then we face a new fear. We face a new problem. We face a new challenge that we have not encountered before. And next thing we know, we are running in the opposite direction. We are finding ourselves wrapped up back in our fear, wrapped up back in lives of unfaith or lives of disobedience. It's humbling to discover that our casual, maybe flippant attempts at spiritual growth, of spiritual growth, they don't seem to do much when faced with new temptation. So despite it all, Egypt still had a hold of their hearts and in our lives too, we can, we can be moving forward and then we face a new challenge and we might cower back. But God did not stop there. He didn't just end it. He didn't say, forget it, you're right. And he didn't throw everyone into the sea. He said, all right, let's go back into the wilderness. We're gonna spend a little bit more time learning the rhythms of God, learning my way, how to think in my ways. Now, of course, there's a quiet warning and a challenge for all of us in this, that along with that warning, God chose to do it for the next generation, that those who entered the promised land eventually were those who didn't know the ways of Egypt, but they knew the way of the wilderness. And I'm not interested in you or in I being that generation to miss out on God's promises. And neither is God. And it is never too late. It is never too late for us to be a part of the new work that God is doing today. Never. When we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord of this world and of our lives, we are saved. We are rescued. And by saying yes to Jesus and surrendering our lives to him, we enter into freedom. But that doesn't mean that you wake up tomorrow not still having instincts, habits, desires for things that were in our past lives. To live like you did as a slave to your passions and temptations, to be at the mercy of your fears, to see yourself as unloved or unnoticed by God, these are not aspects of your life that simply evaporate, as frustrating as that might be. And yes, I do believe, we believe as a community that God does radical and miraculous powerful works in our lives. And we have seen and we have stories of friends that have had dramatic transformation in their lives. And I believe that we should continually pray for that for those moments of instantaneous transformation. We should pray often for that. However, we also need to be praying that God transform our way of living so that when we face those giants, when we face the next challenge, we don't run back in fear, but that we have a perspective of who God is that is good. 
When we come up against those giants, it is easy for us to want to run back, to want us to like rewrite and just to go back to what was simpler, go back to what didn't require faith. It was predictable. It was understandable. We, we could put it in our calendar. We, we saw those rhythms. And God is inviting us to a place of greater risk, greater uncertainty as we put our faith in him. God is calling us to renew our minds through scripture. This is a good thing. We are so thankful, I am so thankful, that God has, in his divine providence, given us his word. And my challenge for us today is simple. When we face giants, when we face those challenges that come our way, that we would become a people of God's word. That we would become a people that daily reflect on his word so that we can be transformed by it day in and day out. That we can be guided by him. That we can be provided and nourished through his inspiration and through his word, through his encouragement. And that we can be instructed to live well for him. Jesus is inviting all of us to enter into a season where we detox some of those old ways of thinking. But we can't just stop doing those things. We have to pick up new things. God didn't just have them wander in the desert with no purpose and no intention. It was to transform them, to change their thinking. And so when giants like bitterness over past hurts, unforgiveness, fear, lust, unrepentant sin, tradition even, that when we face these things, I truly believe that as we become a people of God's word, a people obedient and following after him, that when we face those challenges, we will be ready. We will be able to take on the new and good things, the new promises that God has for us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you have promises that are good and true for each and every one of us. And Lord, there are people here today that have been living in some, some form of slavery. They've been trapped in a cycle of thinking. They've been trapped in a way of living and the rhythms of life seem to own them more than their belief in you. Lord, I ask now that you, by your Holy Spirit, would come rest upon them, that you would whisper a word of truth into their minds and into their hearts, that you are not done with them, that you will free them, that you will save them, that you are their guide. And Lord, we as a community, we ask that you would give us the faith to each and every day choose to be guided by you, not by culture that we would choose to be provided by your word, nourished through your insight, your instruction, your presence through worship and through community, and that we would instruct each other and ourselves in your way. Lord, transform us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We are so excited for the promises that are in front of us. We are excited for the new things that you have for us as a community. And we need your help to get there. We can't do that on our own. Lord, we love you. 
We are so thankful for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. I wanted to end with this one additional thought. I came across this commentary, um, and it said this, that in every church, there still is a let's go back to Egypt, Egypt committee. I thought that was kind of funny. A let's go back to Egypt committee, and I was thought, hmm, you know what? In this next week, consider, am I kind of in that committee? Is that me? Am I the kind of person that says, we need to go back to a thing that we knew back then? God is calling us to a new place. He is guiding and teaching, and we aren't going to rely on our history. That can inform us, guide us, encourage us, but we're not going to rely on it. We're going to rely on the Holy Spirit. We're going to rely on God's word. We're going to rely on the community he is shaping for us today. And so I thought that was quite humorous. And so my encouragement for all of us is let's not be on the committee, the let's go back to Egypt committee, as we explore God's new thing for us today as a church. Would you stand with me to receive a benediction? Worship God daily. Let his word instruct you. Participate in the practices of the church and the kingdom of God and you will become a tree with deep roots, a tree that cannot be uprooted. Go with his direction and guidance. Amen.